We're picking up this morning where we left off last Lord's Day in the book of Acts, chapter 21, beginning at verse 27. But before we read the scripture, I want to say we have a very lengthy reading of scripture today, and therefore I want to begin with an explanation and an encouragement. We have a very lengthy reading of scripture today because I really couldn't find a a place in this passage to break it without disrupting really the whole flow of the passage. Now, Pastor Jonathan and I have discussed the fact that Preaching from these lengthy historical narratives is difficult, and I bet that listening to sermons based on these lengthy historical narratives is is difficult as well, and we understand that. And so it, it will be very important moving forward really through chapter 28 that you stay up with the series, read the passage in advance if you miss a sermon, please go back and listen to the recorded podcast. Be very important to keep up with it, otherwise you might get lost. And here's another practical suggestion. Last Sunday, Catherine and I turned on the audio option of her Bible app on her phone. And we listened to chapters 21 all the way through the end of chapter 28. And it was, we just listened to it like it's a, you know, audio book. Well, it was captivating. It was exciting. And when it was over, we we just looked at each other and said, that was great. Yeah. So let me encourage you to prepare for these sermons, uh, particularly as we move toward the conclusion and, and to participate in this. Uh, with us for your spiritual growth and benefit. And now, let us ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the witness of your servant, the Apostle Paul. We thank you for the ministry of Dr. Luke, who by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, recorded this history for our edification and our instruction. And we ask now the blessing of your Holy Spirit upon us to awaken our minds to the truth revealed here, to implant it into our hearts, and to capture us, O God, um, with a, a passion for the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the only Savior of the world. And in His his name we pray, amen. Okay, you may want to open your Bible, or one of the few Bibles, to Acts 21, verse 27, as we read God's holy, inspired, inerrant word. When the seven days were almost completed... The Jews from Asia, seeing Paul in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere 
against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with Paul in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city, that is Jerusalem, was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill Paul, word came to the tribune of the cohort, the commander of Roman soldiers, that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested Paul and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered Paul to be brought into the barracks. And when Paul came to the steps... He was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him! As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And the tribune said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian?" Then, who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when the tribune had given Paul permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. 
Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, Ananias said to Saul, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone who, of everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles, Up to this word, they listened to Paul. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered Paul to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging, Roman scourging, to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And Paul said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought my citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to interrogate Paul by the scourging withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Now unto him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood to Jesus Christ, be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. This is part of our history. As Christians, we ought to understand that the story of the Apostle Paul's life is a very important part of our history. 
Consider the way in which we as Americans think of figures in American history. William Bradford, the governor of Plymouth Colony. Or George Washington, the father of our nation. Or Davy Crockett, or Abraham Lincoln, or Rosa Parks. It's important for us to know their stories because their stories are an important part of our history and therefore are a part of our story. Well, likewise, the story of the first century church is important for us as Christians in the 21st century. It's our story. And the first century historian, Dr. Luke, recorded a good bit of that history, and much of that history revolves around the story of the Apostle Paul. It is a story, the true story, of passionate faith in Christ, personal love for Christ, persevering commitment to spread the gospel, deeply held conviction of the truth, and courageous suffering and confidence in God. You see, it's a story for us, a story for our time. It's important that we know it. And again today, we have a passage showing us what Paul endured for the sake of Christ. At this point, he had completed his third missionary journey, and he had gone to Jerusalem to deliver a love offering from the churches, the predominantly Gentile churches in Macedonia, that's Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea in, in a region of Greece. He'd gone to, to Jerusalem to deliver their love offering to the Jewish church in Jerusalem. Remember that at this point, the way, that is followers of Jesus, that was a movement within first century Judaism. And Paul had gone to Jerusalem Remember, knowing full well that imprisonment and afflictions awaited him there. And sure enough, there in Jerusalem, Luke tells us, some Jews from Asia, that's Asia Minor, modern Turkey, probably the city of Ephesus, recognized Paul in the temple and stirred up a mob against him. You may remember that earlier Paul had faced opposition from the Jews in the synagogue in Ephesus. And it was probably some of these same men who were now in Jerusalem, probably to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, who recognized Paul in the temple and stirred up the mob against him. Now, I want to pause here. And remind you that when the New Testament refers to the Jews in an adversarial position against Jesus or Paul or the early church, it is not, it is not referring to all the Jews of the first century or to Jews in general. No, <laughs> remember Jesus was a Jew. All the apostles, including the apostle Paul, and all of the first believers in Jesus were Jews. So, it's important to remember that when there's a context of conflict between the Jews and believers in Jesus, 
it is referring primarily to Jewish leaders in Jerusalem or leaders in the synagogues throughout the Roman Empire who were actively opposing the spread of the gospel. They were zealous Jews who believed that this Jesus movement called the Way, which was a movement within first century Judaism at this point, was a dangerous, heretical, blasphemous movement that had to be opposed and stamped out. That's what they believed. And you may remember that a young Pharisee named Saul of Tarsus zealously persecuted the church of Jesus Christ before the Lord Jesus revealed himself to him and called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles, the apostle Paul. So my point is, when the New Testament in various places refers to the Jews in a context of first century conflict, it is not to be taken as an ethnic slur. It is not to be generalized beyond that first century leadership group which opposed Jesus and his followers, and it provides no basis whatsoever for any kind of anti-Semitism today. Let's just be clear about that. This is a matter of first century history, and very quickly let me point out, this is important too, we're in that period, a 40-year period, a the period of a generation. You see, Jesus himself prophesied this opposition of official Judaism against him, against himself. The apostle Paul agonized over it. But from the time that John the Baptist and Jesus appeared on the scene, calling the Jewish people to repent and receive the kingdom of God through Jesus from A.D. 30 to A.D. 70, you've got 40 years, the period of that generation. And the leadership of official Judaism throughout that 40 years continued to oppose Jesus and persecute the church. And after this 40-year period, a time of, you know, the number 40 of perfection, fulfillment, the time of a generation, then the judgment fell, A.D. 70. When Rome destroyed Jerusalem in a bloodbath, a great tribulation, and reduced the temple to rubble. So that, that's where we are in the history of the church. We're right in that period. And this tension is building. This conflict is building. And it finally came to its head in the judgment upon Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. So we've got to remember where we are in first century historical context. Okay, back to the text. When these Jews from Asia Minor saw Paul in the temple, they cried out with the accusation that he, Paul, was 
the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. You see, they saw Paul as an enemy of their own people, a heretic concerning the law of God and a threat to the sanctity of the temple. Now, those are big accusations. That's, that's how misunderstood Paul was. And you see, he was, he was misunderstood by those traditional, you would say conservative Jews, precisely because he was proclaiming Jesus of Nazareth, crucified and risen to be the Messiah of Israel. The Messiah. The one in whom all the covenant promises of God to Israel had been fulfilled. The one who had fulfilled the law of Moses, thereby doing away with all other ceremonies and sacrifices. The one himself, who himself was the living and true temple of God in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The one who was himself both the true high priest of Israel and at the same time the real sacrificial lamb of God, the great high priest who offered up himself for the sins of the people. And the one in whom and through whom the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile had been torn down. The one through whom the Gentiles were being brought into the covenant relationship between God and Israel by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Well, oh my. This gospel of Jesus Christ was dismantling and deconstructing their world, turning their, their whole identity inside out, and it was a terrible threat, they thought. Now, it's somewhat like, it's not exactly, it's, it's not, it's not exactly, but I'm looking for illustrations and analogies to make connections with us in the 21st century. So this isn't perfect, but it's somewhat like what we hear today, conservative Christians are supposedly a threat to democracy. Now, can you believe that otherwise intelligent people are actually putting that sentence into print in major publications? Conservative Christians, supposedly, will bring about the end of America as we know it. And... The problem with America today is conservative Christians. The reason we have a gun problem is those conservative Christians. Yeah. Now, of course, these kinds of hysterical slurs are mainly due to the recent Sup Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade and the fact that four of the more conservative justices are Roman Catholic. But after all, who can imagine America without the absolute right and to unlimited abortion? Who could imagine such a thing? Well, just ask 60 million slaughtered children. But the point is, there were false accusations against Paul in the first century 
And increasingly, there are false accusations made against Christians in the United States today. You see, Paul's story is part of our history and part of our story today. So, these Jewish opponents stirred up a mob and levied another false accusation, namely that Paul had brought a Gentile named Trophimus, the Ephesian, into the temple where Gentiles were forbidden to go. Gentiles were permitted on the temple precincts on the outer court, but they were forbidden, legally forbidden, on pain of death from entering the inner area of the temple, and that was a law which was enforced by the Romans out of respect for Jewish law. And these Jews from Ephesus recognized Trophimus the Ephesian, the Gentile, and they made it up that, well, obviously Paul had brought him into the temple. Well, at that point, all kinds of craziness erupted. The mob grabbed Paul, dragged him out of the temple, began to beat him, were about to kill him. But the Roman tribune, the commander on duty, got there quickly enough to stop the riot. It was his job. It was an important job to maintain peace in Jerusalem. But the mob was yelling this and that. The Roman tribute couldn't make heads or tails of any of it. But he arrested Paul and bound him in chains and had the soldiers literally carry Paul off to the prison barracks in order uh, to protect the prisoner, Paul. Now then, now look, just imagine the scene. Just imagine the mob having beaten Paul almost to death, Paul now in chains being hauled off to prison, and then he turns to the tribune and says, uh, could, could I talk to you for a minute? <laughs> yeah, it's a great scene. And the tribute was surprised that Paul could speak Greek. Huh? You know Greek? Wait a minute. Aren't you that Egyptian that led the revolt? <laughs> no, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia. Please permit me to speak to the people. And then Paul addressed the crowd, speaking in Hebrew, the Hebrew dialect of uh, Aramaic, which was the common language of first century Jews. And that's important. That's an important point. Because Paul was identifying himself as one of them. Now, listen, watch this. Please note, there are practical lessons for us to learn and to apply in our own cultural context today. Paul identifies himself with his fellow Jews in the crowd by speaking their language. And he addresses them respectfully. The very mob who had slandered him and were attempting to kill him, Paul addressed with respect and with familial affection. Brothers and fathers. He really wants them to know that he is one of them and that he has their best interest in mind. That's what you call loving your enemies and blessing those who persecute you. In this address, Paul establishes his Jewish identity by birth and his 
stellar Jewish education at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the most highly revered rabbis of the day. He identifies further with the crowd saying that, listen to this, he identifies further with the crowd saying that he was zealous for God as all of you are this day. Listen to that. He's not lambasting them or confronting them with an adversarial or combative attitude. He's actually affirming their zeal. And he said that along the lines of Jewish zeal for God, he was right there with them. He was one of them. So listen to the way that Paul is positively connecting with his opponents. Maybe we Christians today need to learn how to do that a little bit better. He said, I persecuted this way, capital W, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. So Paul was saying, look, I know exactly how you feel and why you feel that way. Because at one time, I did too. Maybe even more so than you. All right. Now, can you tell your story? The story of Jesus and His love in your life. The story of Jesus' saving, redeeming work in your life. In a conversation with an unbeliever, or an agnostic, or an angry anti-Christian, or a lost and straying sheep. Can you tell your story? Somehow, personally connecting with that person? That's what the Apostle Paul was doing here. As he, as he went on to tell them his story of how the Lord Jesus appeared to him from heaven while he was on the road to Damascus. Now, we've already covered that event of Jesus' appearance to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus as it is recorded in Acts 9. So I'm not going to dig into that except to make three brief comments. Number one, Saul of Tarsus knew that the blinding light was the blinding light of the glory of God. And that's the reason that he asked, Who are you, Lord? Number two, in response to Saul's question, Jesus replied, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Brothers and sisters, please note that the Lord Jesus, in his heavenly glory, identifies with us in his union with us to the degree that when the church is persecuted, it is actually he himself who is being persecuted. That is true today. So whatever persecution you and I may be called to endure, to endure just remember not to take it personally. Because it's not about you. It's about Him. Because our persecutors really have their aim on Jesus. 
But the only way to get to Him is to persecute us. And that is an honor. Third, if Jesus has made Himself known to you through His Word and Spirit, and has called you to Himself in love, and you know His grace and mercy and transforming power in your life, then you've got a story to tell. And every Christian ought to be able to tell that story of Jesus and His love. I hope you will think deeply. Maybe spend some time this afternoon. Think deeply about why you are a Christian, really. Beyond perhaps having been born into a Christian home. That's a good start, but that's not the answer to the question. Think deeply about why you are a Christian. How did it come to be that you really trust in Jesus? Think about how you would tell that story in your own words, in your own way, and in as much as is possible in a way which would connect with another person where he or she is in life. Then Paul continued with his testimony, and the crowd seemed to have been listening attentively and respectively, respectfully until Paul mentioned his calling and commissioning when the Lord said to him, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. It was that. Paul the Pharisee, Paul the Jewish Pharisee's mission to the Gentiles, which sent the crowd into a fury again. They would have nothing of it. It was one thing for Gentiles to become Jews. That was possible. For a Gentile to become a Jew by circumcision and other ceremonial rites, that was acceptable. But to say, that both Jews and Gentiles were equal members in God's covenant people apart from the ceremonial law. To say that Gentiles were equal with Jews simply before God, equal before God simply on the basis of faith in Christ. To say that in Christ, through faith in Christ, there was no longer any distinction between Jew and Gentile. That was blasphemy! a blasphemy worthy of death. It was a flashpoint for them. Okay, now I'm going to try to make another connection to 21st century America. It's not a perfect analogy, but I think you'll get the point. For us, just as for Paul, as we seek to witness for Christ... We might hit a flashpoint. You know, people are very willing to listen to the message of God's love and mercy and forgiveness in Christ. But 
the same Bible that gives us those precious promises also says, male and female, he created them. The same Bible that says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son also says that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Ephesians 5.5. The same Jesus who said with a heart of compassion, neither do I condemn you. In the very next breath said, go and sin no more. You see, and it's just at that point, the hard truth about sin. And in our culture today, especially sexual morality and everything related to it, and the reality of male and female, and the need for repentance, and the call to surrender and to submit in obedience to the Word of Christ, that may be where we hit the flashpoint in our witness today. And we ought not to be surprised by that, or afraid of it, or shrink back from it. Look, The gospel of Jesus Christ is salvation from sin, not salvation in sin. And finally and very briefly, Paul appeals to Roman law, Roman justice, to avoid the torture of scourging, flogging, flaying, the the torture uh, which was applied to Jesus just prior to his crucifixion and which could have killed him, could have killed Jesus, could have killed Paul. But Roman citizens could not be subjected to that torture, and the Roman tribune knew that he had almost made a really, 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 really bad mistake. So the point here, very briefly, and you see this reflected, of course, in, in the letters of uh, the letter to the Romans and then Peter's own letter about, you know, uh, submitting to the authorities. Well, the Roman authorities really early on at this point, served and protected the Christian community well. This was early on in, in Nero's um, reign before he went crazy and unleashed hell on Christians. That comes later. But the point is, here, Roman law, Roman justice served a good purpose as ordained by God, and Paul appealed to it and was spared. Well, Thank the Lord for the history of this nation. And we in the 21st century America may find ourselves appealing more and more to the First Amendment of the Constitution. That's already happened during COVID and over and over and over again, as you know, in the news. And, And we may be appealing to the First Amendment more and more in the future and may God preserve our liberties. But you see, the point is, Paul's story is part of our history. Paul's story is part of our story today. Life as a witness for Christ was not easy for Paul, and it's not supposed to be easy for us either. Brothers and sisters, how will you and I respond to our cultural challenges today? These things are written for our instruction. Will we seek to be faithful Witnesses for Jesus Christ in our unchristian culture, 
despite the opposition. Brothers and sisters, be cheerful, not fearful. Jesus Christ has overcome the world. May we seek to honor him in all we do and say in life and in death for the advance of his kingdom on earth and to the eternal glory of his name. Amen. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the gospel of your Son. And we pray that your word would strengthen our souls and your spirit would empower us to live as those who can never die in union with Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus, let us stand to affirm our faith as we say together the Heidelberg Catechism. Number one, beloved Christian, what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort is that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, at the cost of his own presence.